welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, you take out your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, beginning with verse 5. We're actually going to look at a lot of different psalms today, but we're going to start uh, with a very simple question uh, that we're going to look at today, and that's, who's your daddy? Uh, We're going to look at, who's your daddy? Now, when I was a kid growing up, Indiana University used to win basketball games. Can anybody remember back that far? Okay, a couple of you can remember that. And uh, during that Bobby Knight era when he was throwing chairs and smacking kids and everything, they won a couple of national titles. And uh, they took that Who's Your Daddy and they began to call it Who's Your Daddy uh, because they won all you know, these national championships and they were so good. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to answer the question of Who's Your Daddy? That may be something you've wondered your entire life. Who's your daddy? And now you're going to find out in one sermon on Father's Day. Could that be any better? The answer is probably. Yeah, probably, probably. So let's look into our scripture and find out what's going on here. Uh, The first thing we see is this. God is the perfect example of what a good father is supposed to be. God is the perfect example of what a good father is supposed to be. Now, As I talk about examples, most people know that as a parent, your example counts a whole lot more uh, than the things that you say. Your children are going to learn more from your example than anything you'll ever tell them. And all the stats bear it out. If a parent drinks heavily or does drugs, their children are two and a half times more likely to do so. If a parent smokes, the children are twice as likely to smoke. And if parents attend church Together, 72% of the children will be in church their entire life. If parents attend one or the other, only 23% will stay in church. And if they just send the kids, only 5 or 6% will stay in church. So we begin to see that the example of the parents, the example of the dad, is really, really important. And then we see the fact that when you not just look at the fact that, that, uh, that parents are so important in the life of the children, we have a basic breakdown in the family uh, in America today. We have more and more single-parent homes in the United States today. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Asian families, 17% are single-parent. In uh, white families, 29%. Native American, 66%. And African-American families, 73% are single-parent. And so we begin to see the total breakdown of the family that's going on in the United States today. And then we see stats like the one uh, that I have for you right here. Uh, Look at that. 63% of all teen suicides come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state detention centers. 71% of high school dropouts. 75% of children who are in chemical abuse centers. 80% of all rapists. 80% of youth in prison. And 90% of homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. And yet we are living in a society where the family is breaking down and more and more homes are fatherless. So what do we do about something like that? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Look at Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. 
that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. He is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. So as we come today, and keep that scripture up for just a second, as we come today and we talk about the fact that the family is disintegrating, that there are more and more fatherless homes, where do we go for an example? Where do we go for a help? Where do we go for what we can learn and what it should be like? And we're told right here in Psalm 68 that if you do not have a father and there was never a father in your home, that God is a father to the fatherless. That if you were a single mom and that you were doing the work of both parents, that God sets the lonely in families. That if your whole family was disintegrated, God is there to pull you together and show you what a true, loving, godly family is supposed to be like. And it's just not for certain people that we see this about God. Look at our next scripture here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Malachi 2, verse 10. We could, there you go. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? So I don't care who you are, where you've come from, uh, what country you may be from, what nationality, what gender, what race. What's it tell us here? We all have one father. He created us all. And so if you want the perfect example of what a father is supposed to be, that's where we look to God. So there's several groups of people that I want to address in this sermon this morning. It basically covers all of us. First of all, if you're a single mom. If you're a single mom here today, we know that your job is hard and you're basically doing the work of two people. That is why LeBron James, who grew up without a dad in his family, said every Father's Day he would give his mom a Father's Day present. Because he said, she was my mom and she was my dad both. And so when it came to Father's Day, I gave her a present just like every other kid was giving their father. We know your job is hard. But we want you to know that there is a good father that may be absent from your life that you can learn from. And that is God. The second thing is if you grew up in a home with an abusive father or a father who was never around, and you may think, it's very hard for me to catch the idea of God as a father. A lot of people have trouble with that. As a matter of fact, I was listening to a Christian radio station this week, and their question was, what do you do? How do you celebrate Father's Day when you had an abusive father? And after a while, the DJ came back and said, We do stuff like this all the time. We've got people waiting on hold for as long as we can take calls. Now, isn't that sad that on a Christian radio station, they couldn't even take all the calls of people calling in to talk about living with an abusive father. But if you grew up with an abusive father, you need to know that he is a father to the fatherless. And God needs to be the example you set. Third, if you're here today and you have to admit you weren't a very good father or you're not a very good father at this very moment, what you need to understand is your children are going to need you at every stage of their life. Adult children still want to know that their fathers love them and care for them. They still want their parents' acceptance. And it's not too late for you to begin to be the kind of father that you were supposed to be. You may have already lost a lot. There may be some bridges that will never get unburned. But you can begin where you are now to be the best parent and the best father that you can be. And then finally, if you grew up with a good dad, or if you think you're a good dad yourself, then what you need to know is there is examples from God as a father that will make it even better and more special for you. 
So with that said, we see God is the perfect example of what a good father should be. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when the Bible talks about the character of God, one of the ways God is described more than any other is God as a good parent, God as a good father. So with that said, we're going to look at four things that the Bible says that God as a good parent, a good father, does for us. So let's look at that now. The first is this. God, our Father, provides for us and takes care for us. He provides for us and takes care of us. Now, we all believe that a father needs to provide for their family. If a father doesn't provide for their family, we even have a word for that. We call it a deadbeat dad. Uh, Somebody that doesn't want to be involved, doesn't want to care, doesn't want to support. They're a deadbeat dad. So even in society as general, we know a good father is supposed to provide for and care for his family. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says, If you then, though you were evil, and think of that word as sinful, if you then, though you were sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So basically what is being said is this, look, You as a parent want the best for your children. You care for your children. You want to provide for them, or at least you should want those things. And it says if we're sinful people, and that's how we feel about our children, how much more would your creator, your God, the perfect Lord, want to care and provide for you? So if that's the case, then why do we worry about everything? Why is anxiety off the charts today if we really believed we have a God Father who loves us and cares for us and wants to provide for us? There's scripture after scripture telling us not to worry, uh, not to have anxiety, but to put our trust in the Lord. And yet that seems to be one of the things we do the least. And yet God loves us, cares for us, wants to provide for us. And we see it in everything. We even see it in animals. Animals have an instinct just to care uh, for their babies. Uh, This is an elephant in Thailand at at an elephant park. And this this elephant was trying to put its baby uh, to sleep. That didn't sound right. Was trying to get its baby to go to sleep. Not... Not put it to sleep. Was trying to get its baby to go to sleep, and the baby would not go to sleep. Any anybody here ever identify with that? Yeah, I, I walked Alyssa a lot of nights trying to get her to go to sleep. I think that became part of the routine. I'm not going to bed till you walk me for an hour or something like that. But so this uh, trainer was talking to a group of tourists. The elephant came up, literally grabbed her in his trunk, and began to push her down the way. And she had no idea what the elephant was doing. Tried to get away a couple of times. He would go grab her in his trunk. She finally went along. He took her to her baby, and uh, she began to sit down, saying, Itsy Bitsy Spider. And the baby laid down and went to bed. And then the mama elephant walked off. Okay, now... What's that mean? Even elephants care and want to provide for their children. If elephants do that, how much more will God, your heavenly father, care and want to provide for you? I was very fortunate. I had a dad that worked very hard, wanted to provide uh, for his family. My dad worked long hours. I remember when I got in like the eighth grade and first time I went to work with my dad, my dad uh, owned a gas station uh, on Interstate 71 at the Crestwood exit. And, and he got up at like 5 in the morning. And I thought, 
I'm coming in at five in the morning, you know, not, not, not getting up at five in the morning, but you know, we get up, we, we go to work. He, he worked till like three 30. I was completely exhausted. And, uh, then he had to check out. And so he checks out for like another hour. I'm sitting there, my shift's over and I'm thinking, goodness gracious. We get in the car and I thought, finally, we're going home. And I said, dad, this isn't the direction towards home. He said, well, now we got to go to the bank and make the deposit. And I said, oh no, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, one day of it exhausted me, and my dad did that his entire life. A good father cares for and wants to protect his children, wants to care for his children. And that brings us to the second thing that we see. Not only does God provide for us, God our Father comforts and protects us. God our Father comforts and protects us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. This is showing a very hands-on, active, passionate God that cares for his children, wants to protect them, and comforts them. The home needs to be a place of safety and security for children. That when they come home, this is the place that I can find rest and security and encouragement from the world. Because I don't know if you noticed or not, it's a pretty tough world out there. There are some many mean things out there. And it starts from kindergarten on up. Children begin to find out it's a tough world. And to have a place where they can come, where they feel secure and protected and safe, that's supposed to be what fathers are providing for their children. They're supposed to be providing that place where they can be cared for, loved, and truly watched out for. And there's some encouraging things. In studies of teenagers, they say the number one place they would go if they had trouble would be their mom or dad. Now, we hear about all the problems with kids and parents and everything today. They're still far and away the number one place that kids say they will go if they are in trouble is to their mom and to their dad. And so that should encourage us. A good father wants to comfort and protect and care for his family in a very special way. And that's what God does for us. As a matter of fact, his protection goes from the fact that Jesus literally died on the cross to take your sins upon him so that you wouldn't have to pay the punishment for the things that you've done, but that you were forgiven and that you will go to heaven. He is the ultimate protector and comforter for us, and that's what God has done for us. But fathers were supposed to protect and care for their home. I remember one time when I was a little boy, my sister, like 3 o'clock in the morning, said, there's, there's somebody trying to get in the front door. And then she ran to my mom and dad's room. My dad got up and he said, what is wrong with you? Nobody's trying to get in the front door. And she said, yes, there is. And dad opens the front door, and there's some guy trying to get in the front door. And he goes, oh, and he closes the door and lock, lock, locks it back. And he says, give me my gun. Just one problem. Guess what it was? We don't own a gun, okay? But he's like, give me my gun. Well, I wake up, and I just hear a door slamming, and Dad said, give me the gun. So I come stumbling down the hallway, half asleep, going, I've got a gun. I've got a gun. My little sister knows nothing except she hears commotion, comes out in the hallway. I'm like a crazed man running down the hallway yelling, I've got a gun. And she takes out the back door towards the neighbor's house. Because she believed in taking care of herself first, not the family. My dad then unlocks the door, goes out to see what's going on, and it's just a neighbor from across the street who was drunk, came in late, and tried to get in the wrong house. And so dad just grabs him and takes him across the street, and everything is fine. But a good dad wants to protect his family. 
That brings us to the third thing that we see. And this is one that especially this group over here is going to love. A good father disciplines us. Who here has ever needed a little discipline in their life? Yeah, yeah. Some of you should have raised your hands that didn't, <laughs> didn't by the way. Those are the ones that really needed it. I do what I want. Nobody's going to. Well, when we think of discipline, what do we think of? When we think of discipline, we think of punishment. Okay, you're going to get it now. You're going to behave that way. You're getting the switch. Go cut me a switch. I'm taking my belt off. I'm getting the paddle. We had good paddles when I was growing up. The teachers used to every who had teachers had paddles in their room. And if they were really professionals, they had the little holes in them so the paddles didn't crack and the air would go through. All you'd hear is that noise. Whoosh, I got that a few times, and I'm a good kid. I, I never did understand why they were paddling me constantly in school. Uh, but it seemed to happen afterwards. And then I'm so old that there came a point where they said, you couldn't do that anymore unless another teacher watched. And they volunteered for that job. Oh, I'll watch you whip that kid, man. I will be there in a heartbeat. But what, we're, what we do then is we say, okay, discipline, that's punishment. That's not what the word discipline means. The word discipline, as a matter of fact, is almost the exact same word as a Bible word. Look at discipline up there on the screen. Tell me a Bible word that looks like that. Disciple. And do you know what disciple means? A teacher, a, a, learn, a student who is learning from a teacher. That's what disciple means. A student learning from a teacher. Now look back at discipline. What do you think discipline means? It means to teach and to, and to put your children in the right way. So if your children are doing something in that context that you don't think they should be doing, that's wrong, that's hurting them, discipline is you teaching them the right way. It's not punishment. It's they're going the wrong way and you're trying to teach them the right way. Now that's an entirely different thing. A lot of kids think that parents only do things to keep them from having fun. You know, mom and dad sit around and think, I wonder what I could do to keep them from having fun today, you know, and, and then we'll do it, you know. Or like, that's not what it is. What the ch- parents are doing is they think you're not living in the right way, and they, they are actually a little bit smarter than you, believe it or not, and so they want you to live the right way. So sometimes they do things that we don't agree with. But here's the problem. If discipline is teaching and learning, you need to always explain to your children why they are being disciplined. It's not just, oh, yeah, you know, I'm about to whip your daylights out of you because of this, you know, and uh, this is the way you should have behaved. Uh, You're always trying to make it a teaching, learning moment because that's what true discipline is. It's not about punishment. It's about getting your children to live and behave in the right way. And we're told in the scripture that's exactly what God does with us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. What children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons. You're not a true daughter. So this is what the author of Hebrews says. God's going to discipline us just like our heavenly fathers discipline us. And it says the only reason a father wouldn't discipline a child is that it's not his child. 
If a father really cares for the child, then he will discipline them because discipline is what again? Teaching them the right way. So if a father's not doing that, then it shows he doesn't care for the child. If you care for the child, you're going to try to teach them the right way, not punish them. And they were told that's what God does for us. But look at the very beginning again. Endure hardships as discipline. So it says that that even when we have troubles and problems in life that aren't mistakes we've made or bad things we've done, life's just hard and tough sometimes. God uses that as a discipline to grow us. God didn't want the bad thing to happen to you, but when it happened, he's going to use it to teach you, to grow you, to bring you closer to him, that even your hardships become discipline with God. And so God is the one who disciplines us to teach us and bring us the right way. And earthly parents need to do the same. Now, my dad wasn't real big on discipline. That was my mom's job. Uh, We were afraid of my mom, not not my dad when it came that way. And since kids learn from their parents, guess what happened when I had kids? I was not the disciplinarian. I was the one that said, oh, I know they burned down the neighbor's house, but they're so cute. You know, know, they they seemed to have a good time when they were doing it or or something like that. And it was Dawn who was the disciplinarian. She came from a more disciplinarian type, type, type of home. And you learn from your parents. Uh, But God, we're told, is the ultimate teacher, the ultimate discipline in life. And that brings us to the last thing we see is God is our father. And God, our father, loves us and wants to give us an inheritance. He loves us and wants to give us an inheritance. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now that's really important as we look at that. We're told, when you accepted Christ, you became his child, and God became your Abba. Not just father, Abba father. Now what was Abba? We've talked about this before. Abba was the phrase that a young child used for their male parent. It would be the equivalent of daddy today. So what Jesus is saying is God is no longer some distant figure out there, some some, uh, holy, reigning, all-powerful, even though he's all of those things. But when you accept God as your Lord and Savior... He becomes your daddy. So who's your daddy? It's God. You cry out, Abba, Father. It means God is personal. God is intimate. God is involved. God wants to know about your life and be in your life. He is the Abba, Father. If you never had that growing up and the idea of a father God has always been something that has hurt you and you didn't understand, you need to know you've been looking at the wrong example. You've been looking at a deadbeat dad when you've been in need of looking at your heavenly father. And he is Abba Father. But because he is Abba to you and personal and caring, look at the next thing it says. You're no longer a slave. You're God's child. And if you're his child, then you're God's heir. God has given you an inheritance. You are his heir. You're going to inherit heaven and all the glories of heaven. It is the gift God has given for you. A good parent provides an inheritance for his children. I remember the last year that that my dad lived, uh, and he started to get a little bit sicker and everything. He wouldn't spend money on anything. He would say, Dad, you know, you need a new car. 
And he'd say, I don't want a new car. And we'd say, you've got plenty of money, get a new car. And he'd go, no, no. Dad, you need a new television. You know, this one doesn't even work. No, I'm not getting a new television. We finally bought him a television because he wouldn't get a new television. And I finally said, why won't you buy anything? And he says, because I don't want to spend any of your inheritance. I want to make sure you get every single penny of it. And I don't want to spend what you might get on a television set. So that was his attitude, wanting to provide for his children. Now, if an earthly parent does that, how much more will God know how to provide an inheritance for his children and those that he loves? So what have we seen this morning? We've seen that there are some very good fathers, and there's some very good fathers in this room right now. But there's also uh, the, the simple truth of the matter that not all of us grew up with good fathers. And if that's the case, then God should always be your example of what a good heavenly father is all about. The hurt in our world is absolutely off the charts. But when we look as God as our father, it should bring everything together. I was talking about LeBron James earlier. There's actually an article about him. In the, you know, I was reading yesterday on the Internet. It's talking about Father's Day. And he said that he goes to all of his kids' games. He's involved in everything that happens and all of those kind of things. When he moves this time, which he's probably going to go to another team, sorry, Cleveland fans, he said he only wants to go to a place that's going to be good for his kids. He doesn't care about anything else. What's the best place for my kids to live? And he was asked why. And he said, because I grew up without a dad, and I know how hard and painful that was. And I made a vow when I was a very young child that when I have a child, that child is going to have a father that loves them and cares for them and is involved in their life. If you're a dad here today, that needs to be your vow too. I don't care what kind of father you've had before. If you had a good one, use them as an example. If you didn't, use God as your example, but be the best dad that you can be. It's never at the end point to say, I'm going to be the best dad I can be today. It might cause uh, you to have to rebuild some bridges. It might mean that you have to, to have to go to some strained relationships and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Or it might just mean that you stay in better contact with your kids or more involved in their lives. I don't know what it means. But the perfect example of what a good father is, is God. He is Abba. He's your daddy. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the love that you have for us. We just pray now that, that you would help us to look at our lives and to be the best examples each of us individually can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our Vacation Bible School starting this week. If you're going to be involved in Vacation Bible School, would you stand and remain standing, and then we're going to have a closing prayer uh, for all of you. If you're involved in any way with Vacation Bible School this week, and we see people standing up around the room, thank you all. Very much. So let's just have, have a prayer as we close. Father, first of all, we pray especially uh, for our Bible school starting this week. Uh, it, it's something new, something exciting, and we just pray uh, for the children to come, for there to be an impact on their lives, and for lives to be changed. I pray for each of the people standing here uh, that, that you be with them and encourage them uh, as they go into this week, and we just look forward to all that you're going to do. Father, I pray for the Puerto Rico team as they go out. Uh, just let this be a, a, a time of growth and, 
and uh, coming together for this team. And we pray for the people they're going to be working with. Uh, we pray for the children in the Bible school they're going to be doing. We pray for uh, uh, all those that are going to be helped in very desperate situations there. And we just pray that you give them opportunities to shine your light and to show others about you. And finally, Lord, we thank you for us. Uh, thank you for the decision that he's made. Let this be uh, the start of some new and exciting things in his life. And as we go out, we thank you for our fathers. Uh, I was very blessed. I had a good father that was very involved, and I praise you for that. And I just pray that, that as we go out here, we uh, thank and honor uh, our dads for who they are and all that they do in our life. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m., We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.